0: Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, the Baseball America podcast nook is uh, looking looking a little bit messy today, but uh, it's only because there's been a flurry of activity at Baseball America. Opening day rosters, opening day, uh, crazy new approach to our minor league blog, which has been, I think, very successful, and, uh, of course, the usual draft and college and amateur craziness. It's a great time to be a Baseball American. So we're here to talk with with you about it, obviously, here at the Baseball America podcast. We missed you last week because of all that activity. So you get your podcast a little earlier this week, uh, JJ. But and maybe
1: uh, we'll come back and do another one. We're not promising anything, but you never know.
0: I think there's a very good chance of a draft podcast coming on uh, very soon because I know that Connor Glassy uh, has been spearheading our work toward our midseason uh, top 60 draft process kind of a mid-season update.
1: A very difficult top 60 to do, just to give you a sneak peek, just because it's been a. It's not a year where everything's settling out. Everything's There's no doubt. unsettling.
0: There's no doubt. So I, that probably needs its own podcast. But we we're will to have talk, its own podcast. We're here to talk about. Uh, we're, we're not here to talk about the past. Actually, no, we are. We're going to talk about the last week or so, the first week of the minor league season, JJ. And uh, it was neat uh, just to have. I, I thought the major league um opening day kind of being staggered was almost a little too much. I think it was a lot too much. I, 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 I well I, I don't I like baseball. So yeah. I think the I think the Japan stuff was too much personally. I don't mind two days. I don't mind like right. a Wednesday night and then a Thursday. It's
1: actually and let's be honest it's 3 days because it's well, yeah, it was it's March Wednesday 26. night no, I'm, saying, I'm taking even if you take the Japan I'm saying yeah, the Japan four. part was too much. Yeah. But take that out of it it's Wednesday, it's Thursday and then it's Friday because there was a lot of teams that opened up on Friday.
0: Right, and the thing that bothered me, the, the only part of it that bothered me was the kind of obscured minor league opening day, which I was I, which almost
1: I'd, more, I'd, And it was really strange to have them open on the same day. It that, was
0: very, I thought it was odd. I thought it was a little bit odd to have them open at the same time. I almost wish the minor league had started on Tuesday night, before the major leagues, we'd get, geek, we'd get geeked for it. Yeah. the national media would not. Well, we would get goosed for, for for minor league opening day being the day before the don't major Don't think league.
1: that'll ever happen, though, because it's one of those trickle-down things. Like those last decisions, those last roster decisions you're making.
0: Yeah, you got to imagine that low Class A could open on Tuesday. Oh, I'm not saying they <laughs> couldn't. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm saying, saying
1: but I, I don't think they'll ever let the minor leagues open before the major leagues.
0: Yeah, that, that's just another part of minor league slavery to the major mm-hmm. leagues that Bill James wants ended. I don't. I'm, I'm for the slavery of the minor leagues. I'm, I'm, I like the current development system. I think there are ways it could be made more efficient. We just but we just rattled off ten of us. We did. We 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 could talk about that in this podcast, but let's talk. Let's focus more on the fact that what opening night really gave us, JJ, were a lot of anticipated debuts and a lot of players in you know getting a teenage Bryce Harper in AAA, and it really didn't disappoint. A lot I, of good prospects had great opening days and opening weekends.
1: I, I think the thing we saw, which is not that surprising to us, is was just another reminder of that 2011 draft class really good draft class, if you right. say who's going to be the nucleus of the next wave of prospects, there's gonna be a whole lot of two thousand and eleven draftees among that group,
0: yeah, and uh w- the fun part is that a lot of these guys got challenged, you know even the high school guys, I think it's challenging like uh, like some, we had some question about Dylan Bundy, like shouldn't he be in high class a this guy was just in high school last right. year,
1: sending him to low a sending to the start first of the season year oh was pretty is, good. Well, I was going to say this. If you didn't send no money, I would say that you were you were holding him back too much. If you said, "Ah, oh, we need to hold him back and extended," sure, especially he's a different gap. But but that being said, I, I don't see how there can be any shock that he sent him to low A, not high A. High A is not going anywhere. Send him to low A, let him dominate that for however long. I mean, do remember, you know, it, Bryce Harper. You, you, they, they didn't send him. I mean, that, it's something, and he had a year of Juco ball. It, right. It's one of those things where, give him if he has five starts where he dominates five starts, and you say, okay, we're going to move you up to high A, you've lost nothing from that.
0: Right. I mean, i just, I just thinking uh, today in the major leagues, as we're recording this, was Matt Moore's first start of 2012. I know Matt Moore didn't get a major league contract and wasn't right out of the chute. Uh, He was an eighth-round pick versus uh, Dylan Bundy. You know, some people think he was the best player in last year's draft class, and he might turn out to be. Um, But but Matt Moore spent his first year in extended spring training and then started in rookie ball, and the next year he was in rookie ball. I mean, short season ball. No, and the Rays. I I, I think the Rays approach, and they, they did the same thing with Jeremy Hellickson, their high school pick. Again, not as physical as Dylan Bundy. Different kind of guy. Not but as developed approach, at that point, either. In that really approach, both cases, we most, should explain. He was. No, he was very polished. He was a big-time guy. I'm he not saying he was not polished. He was potentially a first-round pick coming into his high school senior season. He had a back injury. That's why he fell to the fourth round. So he was... Very highly regarded. The previous summer, he was in the small group of top high school pitchers in the Again, country.
1: I'm not saying he wasn't highly regarded, but he, he, he was, was not developed. being given. But he was no, he was not being given. This guy's a college pitcher in a high school body.
0: No, that, no, the difference was he wasn't as physical, right. but he was a college pitcher in terms of his polished, big change up, strike thrower. That was always Jeremy Hellicks' reputation. So I was, that, that's why I picked him. He was a polished pitcher out of high school who was thought to be a guy you could accelerate. And even with him, the Rays took it slow. And I think the Rays know what they're doing. That's why I'm going into the Bundy thing. I think it would have been acceptable to send Dylan Bundy to extended spring training. I think it would have not been acceptable, frankly, to push him all the way up to high Class A. There's not a huge difference between low A and high A. I think, I think it's – I don't think it's too aggressive. But I do think – I think characterizing it as aggressive is fair, even as much hype as Dylan Bundy has, because I think it's hard for high school pitchers to pitch more than 100 innings in pro ball in their first year. It's the workload issue. Okay. I'll give you that. I I think the Rays – thank you. (laughs) But I think the Rays, the bigger issues. the Rays have given us a very good blueprint of how to develop high school pitchers. And they're consistent with it. They've done it with Latin guys. They've done it with draft guys. Right-handers, left-handers, power guys, polished guys. It works. And I also think the Blue Jays did it before, and they did it. Dustin McGowan, but he got hurt. But I don't think that's why he got hurt. He was hurt when he was drafted. Brandon League has been a very nice closer for, closer for them. They did it with a lot of high school pitchers as well. Uh, and, and I think they had success with it in the Halliday, Chris Carpenter, all those kind of guys. So there's two organizations I know of that I've covered and worked on where they've taken that patient approach, first year, 80 innings or so for those pitchers right out of high school. That's what I would do. And, and I think you, it is aggressive to go more than that. And I think you have a couple of very concrete examples that work So I think it was very aggressive. I shouldn't say very aggressive. I think it was aggressive. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it completely differently that people think they could have pushed him more. I think it's very aggressive
1: to put him in full season. Well, ball. and I guess I don't disagree with you on the innings. I think that you could put – and you're right. There's not a whole lot of – There's not a really lot different. big difference in talent between is, the
0: short season, say the New York Penn League where Aberdeen is, and the South Atlantic League.
1: I agree with you on the innings. And my point is, is I also don't think like – I think that if you put Dylan Buddy in high A, I don't think – like Dylan Bundy pitching in Double A at some point this year is probably a little aggressive from the standpoint of that that demarcation line of Double A. You could get him in a situation I where, it's, yeah,
0: it's very where aggressive. he's not
1: right. Whereas High A, though, if you told me, do you think that Dylan Bundy could go to High A and right. have success? Yes, I do. But at the same time, yeah, I agree with you, and I I know your philosophy on this somewhat. You would rather see a guy held back and extended. If you're going to say 80 innings, you would rather that 80 innings be in you know, in a half season of starts yeah. than 80 innings in a full season where you're going out for three innings at I, a time. I,
0: I don't. I am just I called up Jamison Tyone with 23 innings, uh, 23 starts, 92 and two-thirds innings, where you're holding the reins on him the whole time. I'm not a fan of that approach. I want a guy to be ready to go and then from that first start and just go full bore and pitch a season the way he's always pitched not this. Oh, not being trained to be done after five the, innings.
1: The one thing was a little surprising, like Garrett Cole yesterday. Whose track
0: record is better for developing pitchers, the Pirates or the um, or, or the Rays? It's not even close.
1: But it's Gar- not even close. Garrett Cole didn't go five innings last night, which was interesting to me from the standpoint of even if you say Jamison Tyone, Garrett Cole is a, a whole different animal. Garrett and they, Cole. And they
0: had Garrett Cole pitch in the fall league last year. I mean, so he was throwing innings that sort of count against good competition in October. In November. I, mean, I saw him in November, I think. It was, isn't that when the Rising Stars game yeah. is? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, put it this way. I'm just not a real huge fan of the – of. I don't think the Pirates – well, we'll see what the pirates, how the Pirates approach works. The proof will be in James and Tyone and Garrett Cole. Right, and I think I, I said last year when they drafted him. I'm not high on their development uh, approach, and I don't have as much confidence in Garrett Cole being a Pirate as I would in Garrett Cole being something else. So, but, you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't have great faith in the in the Royals pitching. And then some of their guys took a step forward. We'll We're see if they keep taking a step forward. I mean, uh, it's just you know. that you're – that judgment did, as far as pitching – They did change pitching coordinators. Right. There's no more Bill Fisher.
1: The, the so. judgment we'll have to see is if with with because the hitters are there. The pitchers have not fully – you know, that the pitching wave right. has not arrived yet. No, it's, so. still,
0: it's still kind of up in the air. I, I'm more encouraged because they brought in Rick Knapp. But I, I, thought, I thought Bundy – and the thing is, he threw three innings. So we'll see what kind of pitch count they have and, you know, Dan Duquette's in charge in Baltimore. That's not in, that's not driving confidence up in anyone's estimation. Uh, basically, it almost feels like people think that Dylan Bundy is uh, almost too good to screw up. So maybe we'll see that's going to be put to the test. I've
1: had our scouts say, you know, if they screw this one up, they're really screwing it up. Because this guy, if you don't do anything... Yeah, you almost have to actively screw him up. Besides, you know, you know, hey, guys he, can get hurt. We always know that. He really but is too good. If you say two years from now this guy's not throwing strikes and his stuff is backed off, well then, don't point the finger at Dylan Bundy necessarily.
0: We actually have a Twitter question about that uh, from Jose Sempertegui. I hope I pronounced Jose's last name. Sempertegui, I think, is probably high. How, how you do the last name? But I'm sorry, Jose, if I butchered your name. But it's a good question. Who's close for the majors? G. Cole or Dylan Bundy, will Bauer get a chance before Skaggs? Um, I do think Bauer actually probably will get a chance before Skaggs just from a 40-man roster standpoint. That helps. Uh, that, that makes that a big helps. difference. That's, that's, that's the only reason I would say he'll get a chance first. <laughs> it, 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 I it, like both those guys a ton. If
1: one's on and one's not, you look at it and go, okay, um, well, which which one do we not have to make a move?
0: Yeah, I mean, Skaggs, uh, you know, there's so much to like about Tyler Skaggs. There's so
1: much to like about both of those. There's and so much to like about that rotation.
0: Right, and the future of that franchise. I mean, uh, you really have to be encouraged. They're,
1: they're in a great situation. We talked about this in our meeting room uh, when we were talking. Uh, maybe it was our top 20 rookie meetings or, or one of those. And we talked about how, you know what, one of the things that really stands out for the, the Diamondbacks is they had a couple of guys who had, pitchers who had really good seasons last year who you really have to have a little bit of 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 healthy skepticism of can this guy do this again as a starter and you want to see it the josh cole mentors in all the world right and you want to see can they do it again well you have to give them that chance you do not take a guy like that out of the rotation after the season they had but they also have a group of guys who really could use a little bit more seasoning no doubt so what you have now is is that you let those guys, they've got essentially, as I see it, a half season to kind of prove last year wasn't a fluke. Right. Or if, it, if it's looking flukish, you have you then are picking to choose between, okay, is it going to be Skaggs, is it going to be Bauer, Patrick Corbin's sitting here, you know, right. kind of on the sidelines right. ready. You, know, you have multiple options to fill in those holes without having to make a move elsewhere. If you have a guy go down, you have multiple options to fill those holes. I
0: mean, holes. you even have I, mean, I know he's not in this caliber, but you have a guy like Barry Enright, who's had some major league success, kind of parked at A, and, you know, again, has some major league track record. You have lower-level guys like Andrew Chafin, and then looming behind them all, you might have the best arm out of all these guys on Archie Bradley. So, yeah, I mean, they're... That's the way to have pitching, is to have it at the major league level, which they do through a couple of shrewd trades. I mean, in their own you know, their own development at the major league level of getting the most out of Ian Kennedy and the most out of Daniel Hudson. Thank you, Kenny Williams, for handing Daniel Hudson over to the Diamondbacks. And then uh, they have a double A, and they have it at lower levels. And uh, I, I like – there's just no reason not to be optimistic about their future pitching. Uh, that's the part of the question, close to the majors, Cole or Bundy? I really think it's Cole he, he, he as fi- all the advantages that bundy has as far as his physicality and his polish
1: are things that cole has cole has more experience oh, the big thing is is one when you're talking about the difference between a teenager and a guy who's on the other side of 20 there's a difference there because any almost any organization is going to treat the teenager right differently differently and I, i'm not and i think that's not necessarily a bad thing even if you say that the two of them are equally ready Garrett Cole you have Garrett Cole is much more ready to go through the grind of 30 plus starts in the no big league doubt. than Dylan Bundy because he's gone through it's not the same grind but he's gone through multiple years of of the college you know grind which it's yeah. not as much of a grind but it's still you have a, grind. a grind
0: in the Oklahoma high school grind right
1: it's not something where you're talking about going out there and just blowing guys away for you know for in a seven inning game and right. then being done for you know right. for a week.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is different, and uh, yes, yeah, so I definitely think that that Cole is closer to the majors. I think Bundy has a higher ceiling, as high as Cole's ceiling is. But that, those are two different questions. Um, got a couple other Twitter questions while we're taking the the, the Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll take this one from Robert Zakowski, which is higher in my timeline because it talks about a, a player who's off to a strong start. Tyler Collins looked good in a very small sample. What does B.A. think of him? Is he a fast mover? And, uh, you know, that's actually a guy, that's an interesting one. Because I think last year the Tigers took several college hitters, like the think, guy from Vanderbilt there in
1: Westlake. Seven oh nine right now or something. It's it's insane. It's one of those numbers like it's not hitting seven hundred. Seven hundred is nice. Seven oh nine is a lot better because you have to have a lot more at bats to get to 709. seven oh six. Seven oh six. He's twelve for
0: seventeen with the three extra base hits to start the year. What I like about this is first of all that uh It's also funny on our stats. His Australia Winter League is split between 2011 and 2012. There's a little bugginess in there. <laughs> um, it's like, wait a minute, he played at Sydney two years? Um, but first of all, he's he's jumped to high class A Lakeland. I think that makes sense. Second of all, if you dig into Tyler Collins, while his track record in pro ball is short, his track, track record of hitting is very long. Uh, he was the dominant player in junior college, and then he dominated last summer in the Texas Collegiate League. He was the number one prospect there. Then he dominated after he signed in uh, short season Connecticut. And then he hit again in winter ball in Australia. So he's a little bit older. He'll be 22 this year. So I think it makes sense to move him quickly. I do think he has a chance to be for real. I don't know if he's going to be an everyday regular because you wonder about the power. He is listed at 5'11", 205. It just doesn't seem like he's going to be a 25 home run guy that you like to see on the corners. But, J.J., he does sound like a guy who's going to be a high average A lot of doubles, 15 to 20 home run guy. I think he's going to be a regular. I don't know if he's a second division regular or a first division. I think it's a little early to tell there. But Tyler Collins is definitely one of my favorite Tigers prospects.
1: I I just love the fact that, you know, basically you get a Twitter question like that. And I can attest for – that John did this without, there, there was no notes or anything. Yeah, I have it's a just, screen in front of me to see 12 for 17. Okay, but, you know, 12 for 17. But beyond that, like, okay, Texas Collegiate League, yeah, he dominated that last yeah. year. I, I I don't, I didn't, I would not have been able to uh, just cite his Texas Collegiate League uh, dominance, you know, well, off the top of my head. But
0: That was a t- that, that league, this is an aside, but that <laughs> league probably had the biggest gap between number one prospect and number 10 prospect in the history of Baseball <laughs> America top 10. I'm not going to call out the name of the player. Someone else could go look him up. But just suffice it to say, the intern turned in that top ten, and it needed some work. And I went to do some work on that list. And there was a player who was ranked higher than he is now. And I was doing research on him, and I thought, okay, this guy's too high. And then I called a coach in the league, and he was like, wait a minute, he's listed as a prospect? <laughs> but we didn't have a ton more information. So that top, that, that league, they're a prospect in that league. I'm sure we missed somebody in the TCL last summer. We did not miss Tyler Collins. So at least it was that obvious is my point. He was so far away the number one prospect in that league that even our guy did not miss him because our intern was – that was the end of the summer, and he didn't miss Tyler Collins. He may have missed somebody else, but he didn't miss Tyler Collins. That's why he sticks out in my head. Okay. Almost a little too much
1: sausage-making information there.
0: (laughs) That's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Where do you want to go next?
1: Oh, I don't know. How do you follow that up? (laughs) I'm rambling. Oh, Oh. Well, Well, actually, you know what? We have a question that ties into what we were just talking about. I think we've already almost answered this in some ways, but uh, Chris Stevens asked uh, on Twitter, what do you think of the Jays babying the Lansing pitchers to only three innings per outing now?
0: yeah I mean, I just am not a fan of that approach. I like the idea. I understand you got to have an innings count on them, but I'm not a fan of the three innings at a time uh even from a development standpoint. I think you're putting in muscle memory there that three innings is what's expected of your arm and three innings is what's expected of your body and i don't I don't see why you'd want to enforce that, why you want to reinforce that constantly and for me uh if you have too many prospects, could you not take? four of those guys. I don't know how many pitchers do they have there. Could you not take a group of those guys and make that? That's your rotation basically from April to July. When they're out of innings, they're done with their innings. And then you have another group that goes from uh, June to the end of the year. That's what you have to do if if you have too many prospects. But I'm really not a fan of reinforcing over and over that three, four, or five innings or 60, 70, 80 pitches. That's reinforced to your body that that's the end of your day. 'cause that's not what's expected you at the major leagues, and I think if you're building that into somebody one year, it's hard to get them out of that habit they're 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 very young well, the,
1: the interesting thing with that is also is is that it's it's counter to what you talk about when you go on further on in that you're making later on you're making judgments on guys you know okay you you have you may have a hard cap at the top, but you're going, you know what you also generally entrust your pitching coach with the ability to say, you know what." right you're not at you're not at ninety five you could go after this, but you really labored that last inning. we're pulling you out now it, it is where it's. instead what you're saying is is no, we're not there's no judgment to this. you're not talking about these guys that you're generally talking about where you say this guy's not ready to go another inning. What you're saying is is artificially no, it doesn't matter you're just sit down
0: yeah you you're basically also tell you how are you supposed to learn how to it, it's a it's a showcase approach to development if you ask me. How are you going to teach a? How can you work on deepening your uh, re- repertoire in three innings? How can you learn because to command a your fastball? It. You're not going through a lineup. I mean, I know that every pitch is called. How do you learn to get guys out? How do you learn to make a pitch? How do you learn to compete when you know you've got 45 pitches? How do you really learn to compete in that environment? How are you not just going to go out there mentally? I think you're setting up a. Giant hurdle rear, for pitchers. Rear
1: back and throw. if That's, that's it. Because if I'm going three innings, that's it. There is no reason for me to hold stuff back. You
0: can tell a guy all you want to tell him, but how are you going to? And beyond have, that, how, also, it's if I'm going,
1: if I'm going three innings, I'm not saving my breaking ball in the back pocket until yeah. the second time through. Yeah. Like I mean, because that's something down the road you want to develop is that ability. I can get through this lineup one time, fastball, changeup, or fastball breaking ball, and then I'm going to have it for the next time through. I'm going to have something to. Uh, to, right. give, to give them a little something else to worry about.
0: Just from another standpoint, how about you teaching your catchers how to call their own game? You want to teach a catcher... And how this to, is not
1: a Blue Jays. This is just an overall... Yeah.
0: How you're teaching a catcher how to call, okay, I've, I'm counting the number of change-ups that this pitcher is supposed to throw, so i got to make sure I get all my change-ups in for this guy. I mean, I just don't see how that's conducive to teaching players how to get better. I understand how it's conducive to maybe you think... You're keeping them healthy. I don't buy it. I know that there's a lot of organizations out there. I know a lot of research has gone into that, too. I just I've talked to enough people who are on the other side of that debate, who are on the other side of that fence and think that the way that you learn to pitch is that you pitch. And like you just said, you teach your coaches to evaluate and to watch pitchers. So, you know, when they're tired, you know, when they're not tired. And that's. And I think pitchers and, have and to you learn know, to compete, if you wanna, have to learn to get themselves out of jams, have to learn to pitch a little bit when they're tired, J.J. I'd rather them learn that at higher levels than at lower levels.
1: Right. I don't I want under-
0: them learning that the first time in the major leagues.
1: Right. I understand the holding off on the pitching, learning to pitch tired to a little later, because there is, there is a pretty strong body of evidence that it is easier to get hurt as a pitcher as a young pitcher, than it is when you're a little older. Sure, that makes sense. But so that being the case, in the big leagues, right? Either. But it's not something where you want to say, yeah, as a 24 year old when you hit the big leagues. Okay, now for the first time, you're gonna to have to learn how to right. how to get guys out when you're tired, or I mean, you yeah, got just,
0: But Justin Nicolino, Noah Syndergaard, uh, three innings at a time, um, and they've got some other uh, obviously Aaron Sanchez, the guy who that they piggybacked. It looks like it's basically a piggyback situation, and, and you know that's been that's been tried, and that has not worked. You know, the Reds did the piggybacks under did, when uh, O'Brien, O'Brien was the general manager. Uh, the Rangers did the piggybacking stuff with Grady Fuson, and the guys that Grady Fuson developed were guys who were college guys who sped to the system, like Tim Hudson, Mark Mulder, and Barry Zito. Guys who were not babied, guys who were not piggybacked. So, by the way, that
1: my, not, my, while you're doing that, it reminds me of a digression now to go on, which is, is that you had called up our baseball American stat pages. Which, if oh you yeah, have that's not, a, that's an effective
0: digression. If you, you have not.
1: Check them out this year. Please do. The first
0: thing you should do is just go on the Baseball America page. Go to Stats and Scores Home. That's the first place to go? Is that not the start page? Yeah, that's the start page. Or I suppose on the home page, underneath the player finder, we have added the Stats Central. Right. And first, I'm digressing. Before that, our player finder, which is a popular feature and has been a, a great player finder for a long time, you can do the whole name. You don't just look by last name. It's it's a b- very useful player. It's finder. It's quick you type it in, it's quick
1: it calls it up quick.
0: But now the player finder is crazy. Um, in a good way. In a in a really. It's good not way. just slightly
1: unhinged. A little unbalanced.
0: Like me, it's 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 crazy in a good way. It's crazy like a fox, JJ. In that uh, it has a lot of. It gives you a hint of the depth of coverage for us, even for a young player like Justin Nickle. know, draft history. Organization rankings, league top prospect rankings, organization best tools rankings—all that stuff is in there. We've we've been building these data databases for years, and we're finally no, but, accumulated all the information, organized the information, and now we're we'll be able to present some of it to that depth. So let me give you an example of this.
1: You see a guy in AAA has a big night the night before. Okay, go put him in Player Finder. If nothing shows up. If you put him in player finder, and under the rankings and ratings and all that, nothing shows up in that port. You know, this is a guy, okay, he had a big night last night. Never has been a big prospect. Right. That doesn't mean he's not going to make it, but never been a big prospect. You know, if you're talking about a guy who's had some track record, and he does not show up in that.
0: Here's a great example. Here's Russ Kanzler. Russ Kansler, last year's A International League MVP, but in the offseason, you know leaves the Rays and winds up uh, with the Indians I think it was a trade it Which, was a cash considerations trade he's got draft history and no other ranking that
1: right there tells you so, and sorry Ross but it tells you you know right there it's a great way of being able to say okay wait that guy who is having who's leading the league and whatever does that guy is he a prospect or is he more of an org guy well more
0: of an org if guy if you've got
1: a guy who's got 5 6 years in the minors and he's not popping up there somewhere Probably more of an OR guy.
0: Meanwhile, his former teammate, Chris Archer, who was in Durham, off to a good start. Pitched, struck out eight in six innings in his first start here in uh, AAA Durham. You've got draft history, organization rankings between Which, the two organizations. I was going
1: to say Cubs, number 15 prospect in, uh, after 09, number one prospect after 10, the Rays, number three prospect after 11. He was the number twenty seven prospect in the top hundred after ten. There was the number eighty nine prospect after yeah. eleven. We have him he was four
0: league top tens. Four prospects. league top
1: tens. He had a best slider, best fastball, best slider in three which the best tools are awesome because oh, it's awesome. like because oh, then you wonderful. go, Okay, so now we know what it is. You that little thing right there, you know, I I love we love about baseball. One of the things you love about stats is a lot of times you can you can picture guys a little bit from right. the stats. You can get
0: a little thumbnail sketch. You're adding
1: a little bit more there. It's like, oh, best fastball, best slider. Okay, so he's a power guy. That
0: thumbnail went to a one column photo mm-hmm. guess, to use a uh, yeah, a nice. layout term. Yeah, <laughs> so, we, maybe, we, we, maybe we a two column. I don't well, yeah, it might be two column. We've yeah. got a lot of information there, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very. Uh, I think we need to give credit where credit's due. Tim Collins. And Brent Lewis is our main idea. No, not
1: not not the Royals reliever. Tim Collins. We have our own Tim Collins.
0: And this guy, like the Royals reliever, is from the Northeast and little. Yes. So he's, otherwise, there are no similarities. I'm not, not sure. Both talented. I guess Brent Brent Lewis would be RJP Ricciardi to his Tim Collins. He's our, he was our talent scout who found this Tim Collins. But uh, Tim but is you, but on it.
1: Beyond that, so you got the player finder. You've got now. If you go to our home, our Stats Central page, you can. Basically, with one click, you can be looking at stats. I guess technically two-click is once you expand the uh, – you can be looking at stats for any team in the minors, two clicks. And if you want – the part to me that I love, two big things for me. If you go to any organization, at the top of the Stat Central page, we have affiliations. You click on any organization. Let's go, Mets. And you click search. Takes you to that team. Now, it's going to give you a list so you can look at rosters, schedules, stats for any team in that, you know, for the, any affiliate of that team. Right. More than that, though, also at the top of it has organization hitters and organization pitchers. That's going to give you the entire organization sortable by whatever you want to sort it by. Yes. And also from that, you can go out of that, though. It doesn't have to just be by organization. You can do it by AA. You can do it by, you know, league, you know, you can do it by league, you can do it by classification, you can do it by position. You can say what's the best hitting shortstop in the minors right now by OPS. It'll tell you that. Who, which, which outfielder has the most home runs in the minors right now? It'll tell you that. The depth of, of ability to kind of dive in, dive in there and sort through it and all is something we've not had. Also on the player it finder. Is cool. I'm
0: just I'm looking for that shortstop answer to see who leads all shortstops in uh, all of baseball and ops. Uh, I don't think it was Vince Ablitz. But, but Vance Ablitz was a great uh, Division Two player. The answer is Nick
1: Green. Although it's only one game, if you're going to say, with a 10-inning cutout, 10-back uh, ten ten cutout, cutout Brad, Brad Miller,
0: Miller. Which makes sense because he's playing a high desert. You know, He has four home runs. Brad
1: Miller's going to have a big year this it's year. Probably, playing probably in a,
0: as many home runs as he hit all of last year at Clampson.
1: But, so you, you look at that, there's a, the ability to just really dive into that. That's awesome. And, and kind of do that in whatever way you want to sort it. Also, on the player finder page, we've got game logs now. I'll give you an example for me. I'm doing Mapper today. Levi Ma- Michael That's played second baseball America Prospect report, Baseball America Prospect Report. Another thing plug here if you aren't getting that every day, sign up. It's a free email. You so can tell me where the game logs are. But so, okay, type in Levi Michael. So, okay. like, I look at Levi Michael.
0: Oh, yeah. oh, by individual player. Yes. So, I look at Levi yes. Michael yes. Gotcha.
1: today, and he's playing second base. And it made me think. I was out of town this weekend, you know, made a trip for Easter, so i have a couple of days behind on the box where was like, so has Lee Mike Michael played second this year predominantly, or has he been predominantly playing and shortstop? He first. So you go to the game log, and it tells you what position he played in each game. And he played short, he played short, he played short, he played second. Okay, that gives me that answer.
0: And you can click on that. Box score, you can click on that. I can click on that
1: box score. Another thing I'm looking at Bapper today. Brian Morris throws one-third of an inning. Pirates prospect, Brian Morris. Throws one-third of an inning. First question, obviously, I have is, is, okay, is that what he's doing, or was he hurt? Right. So I go to Brian Morris. Not that you could not have done this before, but it would have been multiple steps. I just player finder Brian Morris, go to his game log, click on the box score from it. Oh, he came in and got the last out of the seventh. There you go. Okay, and that was what he did. So you know that. It's like, which kind of says something. He's actually made two appearances, and he has one inning, one and a third innings this year. So he's so in a pen for good. He's in a pen, and and in the pen. for good. He's in the pen for good, and he's not just in the pen. It's not really like priority innings in the pen right now right. for Brian Morris. But,
0: but what you also see is that Danny Santana, who it was signed, it was a priority international signee for the Twins. He's playing second most of the time, but he's going to play some shortstop. But that tells you I think the Twins are going to play both those guys at second and short, and we <laughs> can follow up on that with a phone call. So that's just, again, that that – that thumbnail went to a two-column photo, like you said. And
1: so that's what I'm saying. If, you're, if you
0: Under old BA, it might have been like a 19-pica photo.
1: No, I was going to say, under old BA, it was kind of like an etching. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, that's right. It I, wasn't etching. So it was a drawing
0: of Kevin McReynolds. So,
1: so, and we, and there, this will continue to get better as the season goes along. We've got some other things we want to keep adding that are going to even add to it. But if you haven't checked it out, we do think that our stats package is significantly better now than it was... If you were used to it in the past, we don't think so. We know it's yeah, better. Right. It's significantly. It is better. significantly better. How I know from personal. I know. I know from personal use. Yeah. It's significantly better.
0: How significant? You you be the judge and give us the feedback. We'd love to hear your feedback. Obviously, there are millions of ways. You can get in touch with us. You can call. You can email. You can hit us up on the Twitter. JJ, with lots of lots of Twitter questions. One of them actually goes into a topic we wanted to riff on, by Roger Munter. He asks, Are we starting to think JJ Hardy's three-year extension is too long a bridge to Machado time? in Baltimore. First of all, I'm glad the Orioles fans are excited about Manny Machado. He's up to a great start. I mean, I think we've all Uh, liked his bat.
1: uh, Second of all, I'll say this. I don't think so from the standpoint of that J.J. Hardy and Manny Machado can coexist.
0: I think that's exactly the way to put it. They can coexist. One of them can move to third. Probably the older guy is your best case scenario, but hey, if Machado needs to... That's fine. He. It looks like all indications are he can he's going to hit for. A th- he's going to hit like a third baseman. Is that's where I'm right. going. He has the power to profile wherever you want to stick him.
1: Right. And so, to me, if you're the Orioles, <laughs> I'll put it this way: there are many things to worry about if you're an Orioles fan.
0: That's right. That's not whether J.
1: J. Hardy is going to block Manny Machado is not one of them because I cannot envision a scenario where the Orioles say, you know what. Manny Machado cannot help this team right now.
0: Go back to Norfolk. Yeah. <laughs> no, we need another happen. two
1: years. That's not going to happen. This is no. not a guy who's going to be blocked by J.J. Hardy's extension.
0: They want him getting to the big leagues. They want him in that cartoonish Oriole hat as soon as possible. It, and
1: the funny thing about that is, is and I'm a you know, giant Jonathan Scope fan also, this doesn't even block Jonathan Scope because you look at it, reality is, is that you're going to need long-term, you need a third baseman, a second baseman, and a shortstop. Long-term, J.J. Hardy can fill one of those spots. Yeah. That gives you two others that I don't think you have necessarily a long-term answer there.
0: I agree, and uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good problem to have. It makes a lot of sense that those two players can coexist. I like the way that you that you put that. Um, I, I think that's, that, that's a, a, a good characterization. The other part of the question that Roger asked was about the extension, the contract extension.
1: We've had a debate I, with him in the office about this.
0: I wanted to pivot a little bit, or if I were talking with my kids, I'd be blocking and bridging. Mm -hmm. So I want to block and bridge a little bit to your other subject about the Reds. You do our Reds top 30s. They're not exactly blocking anybody now that they traded Yonder Alonso. I guess they're blocking Niftali Soto. Niftali Soto may as well just... He's counting down he – he's, he's got said, a giant cl- calendar, counting down to six-year free agency. Unless
1: unless he's like, oh, I did find that catcher's mitt that I had in that, you know, <laughs> in, right. that in that locker. I got I better pull that out, which I don't think is going to happen. No one from the Reds has told me that Neftali Soto is going back to catching, so don't misunderstand yeah, me best on
0: case that. Yeah, best-case scenario for Soto, can he play third base? Have they already tried that?
1: I, I think like he's got a better it. chance to be a catcher than a third baseman, really. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't think – this they have plenty bo- of third baseman too. Yeah, Todd Frazier's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been blocked long enough. Hey, Juan
0: is probably texting him like, hey, man, it, forget <laughs> about that. You don't, you're not going to play third or first over there. But the Reds lock up Joey Votto for ten years beyond
1: the two years already left with on this contract. With an option to go another year after so that. So
0: basically a Todd Helton contract with interest is what they gave him. And that worked out so well for Todd Helton and the Rockies. And then they follow that up with today, yeah, you know, with Brandon Phillips. So they've committed about $300 million to Joey Votto and Brandon, Brandon Phillips. Phillips. Um, who, by the way, looking him up on on com, you see that B-Ref has added Twitter handles? Yes. I
1: think that's a little much.
0: I don't want that, Twitter handles. Uh, that Dude
1: BP. That dude, dude BP.
0: But That Dude BDP is now locked up. A $300 million between those two guys. I still think Joey Votto will be buying the dinners when the two of those guys go out because he got a lot more money than Brandon Phillips. JJ, you appear to be concerned for the direction of the Reds with those two contracts. Is that a fair characterization? No, I, I think
1: that this, I think in the long term, this is bad news if you're a Reds fan. Okay. I think, lo- now, clearly, we're talking long term. That being said... In,
0: in terms of the the fact that it's going to be bad for the Major League team winning, or is it going to drive up your ticket prices? Or how no, no, bad? no. Uh, how I think for the winning, for, for the winning. Okay. Uh,
1: you know. And we've had this discussion in the office, because I, I think that it's fair to say... Uh, it's fair to say that you see it as more of a good thing for the Reds. The sign that the Reds have kept their star, they haven't had many stars there, they've locked up Joey Votto, and even the Brandon Phillips deal, I think you're a little more receptive to that than I am.
0: I am more receptive to the Phillips deal in general. The Votto deal is, again, if you're modeling a contract after the Todd Helton contract, it's just a bad thing to do. Um that said, in the market of what Pujols and Fielder just got this offseason, I understand why the Reds went a little crazy. I still think it's too long. I think 12 years is crazy for anybody. I mean, it's it's kind of the hockey model. I mean, the Islanders signed their goalie, Rick DiPietro, to a 15-year contract. He was younger and less accomplished than Vado and the contract is less lucrative. But you're still locked into this such a, a long-term contract. You don't really. You just. You're married to that player. You know, what if he were to say something along the lines of Ozzy Gideon said. Doesn't matter. I mean, yeah,
1: you're you're stuck with. And you're I'll stuck say that with, Joy Votto. I'm not going to do that. He's no Ozzy <laughs> He's I no Ozzy But that being said, I don't know my, my
0: equivalent would be in Cincinnati uh, to <laughs> – it would be someone it'd be left. would be someone Mark, almost Mark, as liberal as. Well, I was no going to say it'd be
1: Mark Furman, the uh, WLW uh, talk show that's, host. Yeah,
0: that's, that's nice, wow. Nice Cincinnati pull. reference. Good poll, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it doesn't make sense to me to sign anyone for twelve years. But I think the to me, I'm just not as concerned about the money. I, I think the money's out there. When Instagram's getting a billion dollars, JJ, when the Dodgers are getting two point one five. But my thing is, is the that money's there.
1: But. But the link to the contract is I me mean, I'm not a Reds fan, I, but if I was a Reds fan, to me, yeah, the money I do not care as a fan. You know, I've never understood this whole "all oh, these players are overpaid" thing.
0: Right.
1: The market bears what the market bears. The market for a an All Star slash MVP first baseman these days is somewhere on the north side of twenty million dollars. Correct. So you know, that's not. I don't think you could anyway argue that the average of the deal that Joey Votto is way overpaid for this. You look at his age, he's younger than Pujols. He's not as good as Albert Pujols. Let's right. make it that clear. Right. But Actually, he's the I next, but right he's right now, now I'll say this.
0: He's, he, he's, I think he's more on the same level as Pujols. He won't have a peak like Albert Pujols, I don't think he's going to be the best first baseman of all time, which I think Albert Pujols is now. I think so, too. But, but I don't think... He's the best
1: off first baseman in the National League, and I don't think there's a debate on that
0: now. I agree. Yeah, completely. I mean,
1: the, the, the debates have all left the, the building. They're That's on right. the AL now. That's right. But that being said, to me, if you are, an, if you are a small or mid-market team, like to me, the, 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 the Angels sign Albert Pujols to an insane deal. And the likelihood that Albert Pujols is going to be a productive player year after year in the final years of those deals is pretty slim. Because if you yeah. just look at 38, 39, 40-year-olds, even if you have a good year here and a good year there, it's mixed in as the, oh, he had a neck injury that year or a back right. injury and he missed 100 games or whatever. You age. Everyone ages. I, I We both know that. Right. Um, right. But it's, it's not great. that. It's the part that... But the Angels can do that. The Angels have demonstrated. They can have Vernon Wells, and then, you know, they can eat Vernon Wells' contract, essentially say, okay, this guy may not be productive for us. And then they can still go out and get an Albert Pujols. My question, if I was a Reds fan, is, okay, for one, do these deals mean that these are the guys that we have wrapped up And then when the Cuetos, when the Jay Bruce's, the the Matt Latos's, when they hit free agency, we're not going to be able to afford them because there's only so many $20 million deals that uh, a Cincinnati Reds-type payroll can handle. If that's the question, to me, Brandon Phillips, Brandon Phillips has been a very good player for them. But if you said, would I rather have the next seven years of Jay Bruce or the next six years of Brandon Phillips... I'd rather have the J. Bruce years. Well, not they the already
0: brand. Do, They already do have J. Bruce locked up through 2016.
1: I guess so that's true, yeah. through
0: 2016, they've right. got Phillips, Bruce, and Vada. They've got that core. They've got the core. They've got some young, cheap players to fill in around them with guys like Frazier, Cozart, uh, Drew Stubbs, some of the other young players in mm-hmm. their farm system. You would assume that Billy Hamilton uh, could it's be a complimentary piece on the Center fielder or shortstop. Shortstop or center field. That's, it's not going to be second base. not going to be um, who are, who are some other young position players? Who well, can Devin Mesoraco is going to be. That's the most important
1: one I was I was missing. You know, um, so they they have that. But my question, and it's really more, of question. it's really more of a question. It's not just I don't want to get too focused on just this, but to me, when you give a guy a six-year or longer deal, in general. You're going to end up saying the best you can hope for this. And this is where we're, I guess we're just debating. We both kind of agree on this, I think, but we look at it different ways. The best to me that you can hope for out of that, if you're giving a six-year deal to a guy who's reaching free agency, there's a difference. If you give a six-year extension to a 24-year-old, right, you may be thinking, our hope is is that we're going to get five good years out of those six. And if we lose one to injury, yeah. you shrug your shoulders. okay. Yeah. If you're doing that to a thirty-year-old, or in Votto's case, if what you're getting twelve with, more Phillip years, is thirty years old, yeah, this
0: is his age, thirty-one-year-old, turned thirty-one, I guess, in, the, in June.
1: If you're doing that for that, or if you're doing the next, essentially, twelve years for Votto, which you're going to take him to thirty through thirty-nine, right? You're not. You're beyond saying we hope to get. You're not saying with Joey Votto that we hope to get eleven good years out of the next twelve. You're unrealistic if you say that. What you're saying is is that we're willing to. Suffer through the end years if there is a significant drop off.
0: You're suffering through them at 25 million per, even with a 7 million dollar buyout in the last year, the age 39 year, which is amazing. That is the amazing part is the length and that's and to, that me, back loaded. to me backloaded.
1: To me, I look at that as, okay, I don't think that that's. I think that that ends up being, if you are a club that does not have essentially an unlimited or close to unlimited payroll, that becomes too limiting, because to me, I understand. I'm not a front office executive. I'm not an owner of a team. I may have a, a too long term of a viewpoint because to me, I don't see it as. I, I understand the argument of, hey, the goal is always is to win now, and we'll worry about the later later. Because yeah. if you're in a position to win now, they, you know, the the old adage is that they don't take those championships away.
0: Right. I guess the the only thing I can think of is if you're the the Reds. And you're looking at basically Joey Votto 15 years from now, essentially. And you're looking at your franchise 15 years from now. You're almost counting on, and I'm not saying this is, I'm, I'm, I'm inferring from what they've mm-hmm. done, from f- the previous 15 years from 1995 to 2010. Major League Baseball revenue for all of MLB grew from 1.4 billion to 7 billion. Mm-hmm. This is like an eight nine billion dollar industry right now. It's a big, mm-hmm. big deal when you have the Dodgers being sold for 2.15 billion dollars. I think it's fair to say that whether, whatever you want to say about the sport, the industry is a healthy industry. Absolutely. And I, I think that's beyond question right now.
1: Absolutely.
0: But, so what you're doing is you're building in a pretty rosy forecast for the entire industry and for your place in that industry, and that 15 years from now, or $25 million, even when the player is not productive anymore, cause I think it's likely that he won't be. That that's not as onerous as it seems now. That's, right. that's, and what that's, that's one part of it. And what you're Another doing part of that calculation, I think, has to be you're expecting that this, in your mind, this is what it took to keep this player, and you really want to win. <laughs> you got some Mike Illich in you. You really want to win, so you're going to overpay these two core players because you feel like in the next three to four years, you're going to win, and you're really going to make a big run at the, winning.
1: The best way to put it is, is that you're counting on that, yeah, that in the next ten years, payrolls are going to climb at a rate that they have not in the last 10 because if you look at it like when you look at when a rod signed his 10-year 250 right over the next five years after that five years later from that when that contract all of a sudden looked like this Mm -hmm. massive anchor 10 years 250 was still Right, still just a lot in, of money. Not just a lot of money; it still put you at the top end of salaries. Right, you do have you just you did just have Pujols surpassed. Right, I'm it, saying just now, but still, but, but five years that into 11 that contract, years con- later, you're right. Five years into that contract, no one had even hit the 25 million a year for a long-term contract mark right. that A-Rod had started. It seemed
0: like there was going to be a little mushroom because at that point, basically, it seems like every time we have a CBA agreement, contracts explode. Right, you had so, one in 1997 when uh, after the ninety when they. Finally, signed a CBA in 90, late 95, early 96. You had Junior get $8 million a year, Albert Bell get $8 million a year. Then contract stayed at that point. Then, right. So, what you're, A-Rod what that you're counting on,
1: if you're the Reds, to do this, to make it make sense, is, is you're counting on that you're right, that, that, that in the next five years, five years from now, if we look at this, $25 million will be kind of almost a going rate for a good player.
0: That's basically what I'm arguing, yeah. Yeah, you're making you that's, arguing that's, that at that that's right, that, You're that, that, arguing yeah.
1: that, that at that point thirty five million will be for the Albert Pujols type guy. Yeah, and, probably. And twenty five million is the useful guy who you sign a three year seventy five million dollar deal and this that's is right. the next this is the, the guy who's gonna that veteran who's gonna take you over the hump. It
0: seems
1: like it's going that right, way. And I'm not saying
0: it's not. It seems like it's going that way.
1: But that's to me that's yeah, you've got to, you, you've gotta count on that if you're the Reds now because They've been but very I mean, much, they've been a 75 to yeah. $90 million payroll. The other thing with think, this. I don't
0: even think they've been 90 I think they've been in that $80 million range uh, a lot lately. I mean, yeah, the, last year, according to the, the Cots baseball contract, I think a lot of us use $80 million, $80.8 million of their opening day payroll. That's the highest it looks like in Red's history. I mean, the, the Braves have been is, in the $80 million pay- payroll range for years. And,
1: and my, my point with that is, is that you can't. You can't win long term with Joey Votto if you're gonna be a sub hundred million. I don't think you can win su- consistently I agree with, with a sub hundred million. You cannot give him one fourth of your payroll I agree. I over the I next five I years. H- I don't think they will be. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're, I think the they payroll's get
0: ready to go in that hundred, hundred and twenty million dollar range and it's kinda of gonna to have to but and he's and he's under twenty five million dollar for the next few years. Right.
1: So. Because they deferred yeah, right. They backloaded it so it'll be a twenty eight, twenty nine million dollar uh contract at the end, which will be uh, a little rough when you're... All I
0: can say is I'm glad it's not my money that they're spending. It's and, easier and for me to talk did, about. It's not my money.
1: I did a little research for this coming in. Like, it's not a... Yes. It's not a straightforward... Okay, this is every guy who signed a six-year... I just did a simple Google News search, baseball six-year contracts, and search from 2002 to 2009. Because I wanted guys who've largely gone through a, a, a big chunk of that contract. And you can find... For one thing that's interesting is... I just rolled off 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, like 16 guys who'd had those six year deals. One thing interesting, Brandon Phillips is at the very top end of age wise. I didn't get Kevin Brown's contract in there. a the little before that. He was 34. He was, he was, and yeah. Scott Boris could say all he wanted about how he's a different 34 than most 34. Pretty much no, it turned out like it, you thought it would, which is, huh. Those guys aren't usually as good at 40 when they, you know, as they were at 34. But yeah. the interesting is is that only of those 16 contracts I pulled up, only two guys signed where their first season was a year where they were 30 or older. Uh, Jim Tomei, who, to me, if you're going to talk about a six-year deal to a 30-plus-year-old guy, you want the, you want the Jim Tomei production. Jim right. Tomei was Jim Tomei for the life of that contract. He had one bad year, which was injury-induced.
0: I'm going to give Kevin Brown this real quick. You know, in year five of that deal, as a 38-year-old, he had a 2.39 ERA and a one hundred sixty nine ERA plus in 211 innings. It wasn't until he got traded to the Yankees that he really fell apart. But but the Dodgers, the first five years of that, three of those five years, he was quite good. He won an ERA championship. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I'm saying. I, 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 I know I sound like I work for the Boris Corporation. I don't. But I was surprised to see that because you said it, I wanted to look him up. Right, and I'm yeah. saying I'm not saying he was, but, but Big Jim, Big Jim is one of the best, and, and he, and also the thing is that Big Jim still was a productive player even after this contract. Right. He
1: signed another contract after that.
0: Hey, you, I can't believe you put Barry Zito on this. He just threw a complete game shutout yesterday. Yeah. Come Barry on, J.J. Zito, hey,
1: I, I, this is not a list of. <laughs> this is not a good or bad. This is a. I'm putting him down, and then I'm seeing. Yes, and Johan Santana, not so much. Not working out. You know, but the thing about this is, like, even with Johan Santana, again, it do, it does come down to what do you expect out of this? Because in some ways, you could argue, yes, Johan Santana got hurt, and that, and you could argue because of that. But he did give him three. It's a six-year deal where he gave him three good years, and he said one basically lost year. Yeah. And one, you know, so you don't know. It's like, okay, so what, is, what do you judge as successful out of that? The thing that jumps out is, is that you're almost. Do you almost,
0: have Pedro on there?
1: No, he was a little before the. Okay. But uh, Barry Zito, okay, that's about as bad as it can get. Yeah. Grady Sizemore is an example to me of the good and the bad of it. Grady Sizemore until he got hurt. Was doing everything you could hope for. He was one of those guys. He signed. He locked him up tw- to age 23.
0: Face of the franchise kind of player. Face
1: of the franchise player kind of player. But then this is, to me, the concern you have if you've got a, a guy like Votto. Todd Helton was a great example of this. Yeah. So you have that kind of face of the franchise guy. But if an injury comes up, you're still putting him out there for 550 at-bats. It does not matter whether he's productive or not. Correct. You're not saying, well, we're going to sit him now. He's
0: Todd Helton, basically, his career is a longer version of Don, Don Magdalene's career a peak that was just ridiculous, whether it was coarse Field or not, an ungodly peak, and then severe back injuries and diminished production, and you keep running them out I, there. And they really, another example, they very deal. similar
1: example, Eric Chavez. Yeah. Eric Chavez, the, the A's had the misfortune of signing Eric Chavez to a six-year extension just at the point when the back injuries really hit. Right. And he was still an average player for a couple more years, and then the injuries really took hold. Right. Rocco Baldelli. Yeah. Signed a six-year extension, and basically at the point where it be- became clear that you know there was the multitude of injuries and there was the illness and all that, they never really got a productive year. They ended up that contract ended up being cut short, but they never got a productive year out of that extension. You obviously don't know that's going to happen when you do that, but you know Alexis Rios, Kurt Vernon Wells are kind of almost the poster children for the dangers of of these long-term extensions because. Right. Right. Because like Vernon Wells' case, you know you're you're looking at right now, say he had two good years, he's had two bad years, and oh yeah, by the way, there's still two more years to go.
0: How about the fact that Todd Helton's deal was so bad that um, the last two years where he was owed forty-two million dollars with a four point six million dollar buyout in that for the last year, they reworked that contract and he's got thirteen million dollars deferred from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty three at three percent interest. That's
1: that's a contrast that he's gonna he's gonna be getting paid.
0: At, it's the, the, end at the end of Joey Votto's at the end of Joey Vado's career, he will still be getting paid.
1: And the point I'm making on this is that generally, when you wow. hear these long long term deals, be afraid. Be afraid just because. <laughs> and and but again, I, I, the one other debate I wanted to get into this is that because we were talking about this before the podcast began. But let's say let's say that the white the Reds. I can see, the argument, I can see the, the argument the other way, too, though. If the Reds, let's say, win a World Series in 2013, let's just say, just for the sake of argument, and then I'd they are, 12? let's just say 13 for all now, right. just, you know, like the contract extensions have really kicked in and off. Yep. 2013 or 14, they win a World Series, and then let's You would say, assume there's some
0: revenue growth there.
1: Let, and let's just say, though, you know what, but let's say that after that, okay, 2017, 18, 19, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. Or they have a stretch where they're really bad because of this. I don't even know. Like, again, if you're a Reds fan, does that run of relevance? Because let's be honest here. The Reds haven't been relevant.
0: Yeah, since 1990, they've rarely been relevant. So I mean, they've been irrelevant more than they've been relevant since 1990.
1: So if that's the case, would you take that trait? I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a different version of the whole Marlins fan argument. Right. You know, do you take a World Series... But it's a little different because, to me, I can see the argument more of a team like the Reds. If you keep your guys, and then till so you win a World Series with them, and then they start getting older, and you're still they're still there, you're still saying, you know, I remember, you know, Brandon Phillips, World Series right. hero. Oh yeah, he's hitting 250 now, but I still remember Brandon's, You know, is that or like live with the Reds? Like, okay, I still remember King Griffey's not what he was, but I'm still right. seeing him. Is that is that a better trade than being a consistently good team that doesn't win one over the next ten years,
0: I think it is. If you're a Reds fan, I think you want that trade-off of that
1: championship. I mean, I think and that I can you, see the argument. I for think that.
0: that's what you know in sports. Uh, you just remember those kind of moments. You remember moments and championship moments, and you don't remember as much. Hey, we remember.
1: won 90 games three years in a row.
0: Yeah, I mean that's just not ask know, a Braves fan. Everyone aspires for that. Everyone aspires for both. You know, the ideal is both. If you had to pick one, I think you'd pick the championship. I think you'd pick the up and down. Because clearly,
1: I would say that you could make the argument that the Rays are, as much as they can, trying to do the They're hoping that they get the championship. Right. But they're doing the other approach, which is what's notable about the Rays at this point is that here is this small market team that is consistently competitive.
0: Yes, that is the most impressive thing about them, and they really haven't. And
1: they're not doing anything. They haven't done a crazy contract. They're not doing anything to say, okay, this may hurt us long term, but it's going to up our chances to win it this year. I can't think of a thing they've really done. Everything that they do, because there there are multiple things they could do. If you wanted to say, hey, we're going to look at, we're going to push, our hope is is that if we win a title here, it's going to change the right. dynamic of the fans right. in, in the area and all that. They if they that. did that, at the trade deadline last year, if they just said, you know what, Matt Moore is available, <laughs> they could have gotten pretty much <laughs> anything they wanted. But Or go a different way. Wade Davis is available. Right. We'll bring Matt Moore up. They could have gotten almost any. You know, That would have been one of the biggest. They would have gotten a lot. That's for sure. And they're, I don't see them doing that. It's, that's the other approach. I'm not saying that the Reds are doing a go-for-broke, Got to yeah. win it this year approach. But it's very much a, we'll worry, let's be honest. Walt Jockey, chances that Walt Jockey's their GM in 2017? Pretty small. Pretty
0: small. I, do, I do think that's the thing that really surprised me, that they jumped. Not that they signed Votto for so long. I, again, I don't think that's great. I just thought it was surprising they did it two years before he was a free agent. And that they and, and that it was for that long. But I, I will say, that's, that's that really where I think me. the
1: teams are looking at this a little bit, what you were just talking about, though. There is some argument can be made that locking up guys now, if the contracts are going to go crazy, like if the revenues are going to you know continue to grow, you may lock them up now, and it may be that two years from now you look at it and it's like, okay, that would have been a, there an eight-year eight $300 million. Now game.
0: there is that. Um, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. We should wrap up soon. Let's we'll take a couple of uh, Twitter questions as quickly as we can, JJ. Uh, how young is Jorge Bonifacio to his league right now? Tony in Albuquerque wants to know.
1: Great question. That's one of the things I'm going to have tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be playing with uh, the NaviCat, our uh, database uh, software. He's young for the league. And a very impressive start, by the way. Um, Walked three times last night. More than than anything else, almost. Six walks, two Ks right now. That's for a guy. Small sample size. Small small, small sample size, but for his age, he's an advanced player for his age.
0: Not as hacktastic as. Uh, but some I others. but I
1: will plan on. Uh, I hope this is. I'm recording this. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Hopefully, at least by Thursday afternoon, I'll have up the youngest ten players in each league. That'll be. That's
0: a, that's a cool query. Um, let's see. Joe Lukates asked many questions. I want to know what? You, where will Bubba Starling begin the season? Burlington or King County? Obviously, he's not going to be Burlington. Spring. I don't think
1: it's going to be Idaho Falls or King County. So he'll
0: be a Chucker or a uh, or a Cougar.
1: Right, and I do think it's going to be a cougar. I think it's going to be a, I, I would expect, you know, we had a story up on the site a couple of weeks ago talking to the Royals about this, and they said at the time they had not made the decision that Bubba Starling was going to start the year and extended, But you can kind of get the sense that maybe they were leaning that way. And the way they put it is they said, uh, J.J. Piccolo, who essentially is their VP, yeah. you know, he's in charge of their scouting and their player development. Um, the way he put it was, last year Chesler Cuthbert, some of those guys, we knew. May 15th. Chester Cuthbert is going to be in Kane County. You know, he's not he's not gonna start the season there, we're gonna let it warm up and all, let him have a little time we're working on him with the extended spring, but then that's where he's gonna go. Bubba Starling, there's no such decision has been made. Bubba Starling, they're tweaking a couple of things with this approach, with the swing and right, all. Right. And when they say they basically the way he put it is, we'll know. It'll be there'll be a week in extend there'll be a week that he's playing extended and they'll either go, Okay, we've got to get him out of here or You'll turn around in June. That week hasn't happened. And if that happens, then you're going to send him on to Idaho Falls. Got to, got I, I would binary. say, though, uh, the reason I say Idaho Falls, no one told me that, but that's their highest level short season team. He's going to the highest level short season team if he doesn't go to the We
0: would love him to come to the LLA. I would love
1: to have <laughs> there's going to be some. I, I'm pretty confident this year it's going to be the most interesting Burlington club that we've seen. Because, for one thing, they've got three shortstops, interesting shortstops who are going to be in – in rookie ball or short-season okay. ball. So we've got to have one of those here.
0: Didn't know we were going to have an happy league preview here on the yeah. show, but uh, but why not? Uh, Woe Doctor asks, is Ades Portillo destined for the bullpen? Uh, it's always easy to say that. Yeah, any it, player, uh, any pitcher who's that young. You know, I, I think that's an easy default. I would just let the guy pitch a little bit before we worry about Ades Portillo's future I was going to say,
1: I mean, and – the other thing with that is so hard to predict is, is that that's not always determined by the player even. Right. Right. You know, uh, we've seen multiple examples of that in the big leagues right now. Could Aaron Crow start? Potentially, but as soon as Joaquin Sori went down, they're like, nope, we need you in the pen. Naftali Feliz getting the chance finally to start, but with him, it was like, last year, could he have started? Well, maybe, but we don't know. It's, right. But it's not. The, the point I'm making is is that a lot of the times those decisions were made not because the guy can't do it, but because we value, we think you can help us now here, and then there's inertia becomes powerful. Well, he's That's doing right. really well in this role. Another do part... we want to step back? Aroldos Chapman. Aroldis Chapman had right. a great spring. Right. And they're still not saying that he won't start for them some point this year. But He when, won't
0: start for them this year?
1: But the, the thing about it is, is that, yeah, it's like as soon as you know, spring training ended, well, we've got five other starters, right. including, speaking of, we never talk about the extensions, including Bronson Arroyo's long-term untradable yeah, that's extension. A, that's, that's an untradeable extension. But be, you know, because of that, okay, he goes back to the bullpen. That's not because Royals Chapman can't necessarily start. It's because that's what the team has determined that he can do.
0: The other part of that is that that's assuming Aegis Portier gets to the major leagues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, that's a pretty big assumption, considering what he did in the Midwest League last year
1: long ways away
0: he's a long ways away repeating the level yeah we'll see um we had a couple questions also about the draft I'm going to hold those off till next podcast one of them does talk about top college sophomores we've seen this year I will say this uh this year's just glancing at last year's sophomore you know what we had coming into the year our top sophomores Carson Whitson hurt Ryan Stanek has had a pretty decent year Colin Moran hurt but I mean it's a short-term injury Dylan Covey, just not the same guy he was in high school. Ryan needs at LSU, definite name to to remember. Austin Kabitz of Rice, though, has been hurt, not been very good this year. Michael Lorenzen at Cal State Fullerton, still top ten guy. Uh, Chris Bryant, San Diego. Adam Plutko, UCLA. Out of those guys, uh, the one that I've seen has been Colin Moran. Uh, Colin Moran was awfully good. I have seen Michael Lorenzen on TV one time as well. I saw him last summer for Team USA. He's very interesting. He's almost more of a prospect on the mound in some ways because he's like 95 as a relief pitcher at Fullerton. But uh, that sophomore class has had some attrition already, some, a
1: fair amount of attrition. That's been a, that's been a story of, this, dra- of this, this year. Yeah, this hasn't
0: been a great spring on the amateur side. Bobby Wall is a guy who was 24 at Ole Miss who will be a lot higher on this list. If we were to redo this list, he'd be in the top ten. That's a good name to, to think of for next year's draft, the, the, the ace at Ole Miss. You got any other Twitter questions you want to get to, JJ? I think that's uh, let's see. I think so. It was pretty good, uh, pretty good rambling podcast with righteous indignation on my part about uh, Dylan Bundy and the uh, and the Orioles' development. But uh, that's what you come to the Baseball America podcast for, isn't it?
1: Come cool. for the info, stay for the righteous indignation.
0: <laughs> that's right. We'll see you next time with more righteous indignation and more baseball information. For JJ, I'm John. Thanks, everybody.